0: Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Dr. John Hartig joins me today on the Make Meaning Podcast to talk about his career in and passion for developing a stewardship ethic for the Great Lakes and the natural world. John is a visiting Fulbright Scholar at the Great Lakes Institute for Environmental Research at the University of Windsor, and also the Great Lakes Science Policy Advisor for the International Association for Great Lakes Research. But even more than those impressive titles, John has written five books and more than 100 articles about the environment. For 14 years, he served as refuge manager for the Detroit River International Wildlife Refuge, and he's received a number of awards for his work, including the 2017 Community Peacemaker Award from Wayne State University's Center for Peace and Conflict Studies. Dr. John Hartig, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Lynn. It's good to be with you.
0: It's such an honor to speak with you. And I, I literally could spend an entire episode just singing your praises and enumerating your accolades, but I won't. I'd rather hear your personal story and learn about where your passion for this work began. So, why don't we begin with you telling me how you first fell in love with the environment and uh, with the notion that you wanted to inspire others to protect it?
1: Well, Lynn, uh, you know, I, for most people, it goes back to your youth. And for me, uh, I had a family that loved to take vacations up north and we would go up north to inland lakes and the Great Lakes and we'd visit state parks and we would canoe and we would fish and we would have these amazing sort of in the classic up north experience of a Michigander you know. Sure, sure. But when we came back I lived in Allen Park, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. just a little bit south of Detroit, and uh, we would still go out, and we would go to Belle Isle, and we would, uh, you know, they had the bicycles built for two, and Uh we would go around the island, and we would canoe, they had the canoe livery, and we would go down Southfield Boulevard, you know, uh, in uh-huh. Allen Park, it's a boulevard there, and you'd go down to the foot of Southfield, and it ends right in the Detroit River. Uh-huh. And there's a park there; it's called Dingle Park now. And we would go, you know, fishing and everything. But back when I was young in the late '60s, there was so much oil on the river, and I couldn't understand in my mind uh-huh. why. Detroit River had to be so polluted. And then we would go up north and Uh visit these pristine inland lakes and canoe and rivers and see the great lakes that were, you know, amazing and everything. And how could that was such a contrast. It was such a paradox for me. And then when I was a, uh, and I had, you know, repeating experiences with that. I would go down, our family would go down to Sterling State Park. And back in the 60s, it was closed to swimming. I had uh, many experiences in the outdoors in my youth, uh, mm-hmm. in the, uh, In the summer, we would go up to uh, northern Michigan and vacation in pristine inland lakes and on the Great Lakes. We would visit state parks. We would canoe. We would fish. Amazing experiences. When we came home, we still liked to be outdoors. And so we would go to Belle Isle Mm -hmm. and we would, you know, uh, canoe, and we would rent bicycles built for two, and we would picnic, and and we would also go down to the end of Southfield uh, Boulevard mm-hmm. in Allen Park. It was a boulevard, and it, it it would end at dead end at the Detroit River. And there's a park there that's called Dingo Park now, and mm-hmm. and we would fish down there. And I could not believe how much oil was on the Detroit River, and mm-hmm. how all the rocks along the shoreline were just you know soaked in oil. Oh,
0: and and
1: how could that be? You know, how could one be so beautiful and pristine and one be so polluted? Right. I never quite understood that. And um, so when I was a, uh, a junior in high school, uh-huh. I was coming home from school one day and we got home and we noticed my friends and I that there was some smoke coming off the horizon. And we said, oh, my goodness, it must have be something like the Rouge plant on fire or something oh, wow. must be tragic. And then uh-huh. it wasn't until the six o'clock news that we found out that uh, it the Rouge River was on fire. Oh. Can you imagine that? 1969. No. Uh, no, dropped an acetylene torch, and there was so much oh. uh, wooden debris and oil on the river that it caught on fire.
0: Oh my gosh,
1: and then my final experience was. Um, Earth Day in 1970. I was a senior in high school, so Uh 50 years ago this year, Uh um, we had a, uh, just like thousands of places throughout the United States, we had an Earth Day rally, you know, Uh and we had Zoltan Ferenczi come and speak, who was a big advocate for social justice and the environment, and Uh and we uh, you know, buried a paper mache earth into into the ground, and and uh, and so I decided I wanted to go to school from those experiences to uh, learn about water because I absolutely loved being out on the water, and so I went on, got a degree in biology and chemistry, and went on to a master's and. Uh, aquatic biology and then a PhD in lim- limnology which is the ecological study of fresh water okay and so I decided I wanted to make a difference I wanted to do that and I've followed uh, that um, that interest in my entire career and have worked on uh, uh, cleaning up some of the most polluted areas of the great lakes I've worked on all five of the great lakes and wow. uh, but I've had a spell Spent a lot of time, obviously, thinking about and uh, um, understanding the Detroit River and the Rouge River in our backyard as well.
0: It's really interesting that you say um, it goes back to childhood. And, you know, when I work with people on um, meaning and purpose through the Make Meaning movement, we always go back to that because I think we know – early on, what we love to do, what we're good at doing, what inspires passion in us. And and I do believe that every person on this planet is put here for a reason and has something unique to contribute, to make the world better, to leave a legacy. But I think a lot of times when you know, we were growing up and in sort of following the channels that our parents and others direct us, you know, we abandon a lot of that, a lot of that passion and instinct and say, you know, how can I make a living at that? I have to pay the bills now. So I have to choose a career. And and I think we get lost. I think a lot of people come at come back to it in midlife and say, you know, I always loved this or this always spoke to me, and this is how I can make a difference. And I, I think it's courageous that you knew that at a young age. And you pursued it, and it's, it's been fluid your whole life. I think that's that's really cool. Um, do you think that it was you know inspiration from your parents that encouraged you to just sort of listen to that little voice inside, or you know where, where how do you think you knew so early on and, and had the bravery to follow it all the way through
1: um, I didn't know that I would be doing uh, today. <laughs> You know, what I'm doing now, but um, certainly my parents encouraged it and they encouraged us to, you know, find, you you know, you, each person I was taught, each person has unique gifts and talents and how do you apply them? Yeah. Yeah. And wherever you go, whatever you do, bloom where you're planted, you know, right. to try to do that. And so, and then of course, along the way, you know, like each of us kind of stands on the shoulders of not only our parents and our aunts and our uncles and, and, and good family friends, but you have a lot of people along the way who, who kind of help you along the way and, and, and continue your journey and open doors for you and guide you along the path. And so I, I've been very fortunate to have lots of good friends that have helped me and, and, and to be able to do what I do today. So I'm, I feel really, really fortunate.
0: Yeah, you are. You are. I love that um, a um, large focus for your work is water. I know it's, you know, it's such a crucial resource that is in short supply in many places and I I learned this when I was in the Middle East and, you know, looking at Israel and its neighbors and how Israel has really cultivated water in a place where there isn't much mm-hmm. and how that has become sort of a political issue and a um, a regional concern i wonder do we face an equal crisis here when it comes to water and access or you know what are the major issues that we're facing on on this side of the planet <laughs> when yeah. it comes to water
1: yeah well in contrast to the middle east i've been there too and uh-huh. um you know they are water limited right and, yes. and you know yeah. like you you go there and uh, i was in the uae last year and uh-huh. they said make sure you don't drink the water from the tap only drink bottled water you know oh. Okay. And that is, you know, in contrast, we turn the tap on and we have this amazing water, you know. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And so they have, they are very water limited there, and we have, you know, one fifth the standing fresh water on the Earth's surface in the Great huh. Lakes, and wow. so we have more than far more than any other areas, and to a certain extent, we took it for advantage, took advantage of it, right? Sure. Yeah. We, took it for um, granted. We treated these rivers, you know, for, for nearly two centuries. The Detroit River and the Rouge River were, you know, they're just treated as a uh, 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 an industry, a, a river that supported industry and commerce, you know. Right, right. But they are they're you know the the big thing that you have to learn when you go through schooling in in, in the aquatic sciences is that is the difference between environment and ecosystem. Environment is like um separate you know uh-huh. Environment is like the like a house. A okay. house is separate from us. A house is across the street
0: okay
1: Now ecosystem is like home
0: mm-hmm.
1: When you think about a home, you think about you. In being in the home, right. so we are part of an ecosystem, and what we do to the ecosystem, we do to ourselves. That's really so true. that's a really important thing that we all try to teach. So uh, how do we change that mindset? You know, and that goes to everyday things like recycling and not pouring oil down a, a drain, and, right. and 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 making the right decisions on pesticides and what kinds of plants to plant and everything else. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, So that's really important concept.
0: It's interesting because, you know, um, right now we're at a time, you know, we're recording this during the pandemic, and we're seeing the the effects of all the people sort of slowing down, going indoors, um, industry halting, and, you know, we're seeing the planet revive itself and um, restore itself after the damage we've inflicted. And that has been one of the things that's really hit me quite hard, that, you know, here we are enjoying our lives and flying here and there and consuming without thought. And the environment really does take, or the ecosystem, as you would say, it does take a beating. And now it's saying, shame on you. We're going to get back to a healthy state while you stay indoors. And I just wonder what's going to happen once we all start going back to our lives. And, you know, will that concern be there? Will will the, you know, our, our resources... Uh, remain healthy? Or are we just going to inflict damage again? It's just, it's really concerning to me. What what are your thoughts about that?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, my fear like yours, Lynn, is that we're going to go back to where we were, you know, right. and, and so, you know, every evening I take either a long walk or a bicycle ride during COVID and the stars are amazing in Southeast Michigan. What a uh-huh. treat. To get now, you know, and Mm -hmm. and to look at the you know the air quality uh, numbers right now, how the air is cleaner, and no one feels that more than asthmatics and people with pre-existing conditions, you know. So um, uh, it is it is amazing. My fear is that we will go back, you know, and and talk in in the aquatic sciences about tipping points you know that uh-huh. point in time where that if if something isn't done immediately we will see you know irreparable harm you know right, to right. something you know and yeah. and right now you know we are we have multiple things going on but we are facing another tipping point with climate change you know huh. and you can see it here in southeast michigan with you know how they're building coffer dams over in Greyhaven on on the east side of Detroit because of high water levels, huh. because of you know flooding in basements and and uh, the increase in frequency and severity of storms that has having yeah. more runoff that comes into the Great Lakes and causing algal blooms down in, in uh, Western Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. So there's climate change is going to affect us all. And we are at a tipping point, And we all need to do something about this. We, not only in Southeast Michigan, but throughout the whole world. And we are doing some things. You know, there's some good things going on. Uh, the Sustainability Action Plan from uh, the city of Detroit has set mm-hmm. some uh, goals to meet the uh, Paris Accord and and uh, city of Windsor has done the same thing and they've even uh, declared a climate emergency for the wow. entire city based on that to huh. raise the sense of urgency so that we will all take it seriously and and, and do our part
0: I hope it I hope it has lasting power because you know we have this beautiful planet and of course we want to travel and see all of the different terrain and landscapes that are not near us. I mean, I understand that. I have that hunger too, but the damage we do to get there, you know, I think about friends who visited the Galapagos Islands and I just, I almost cry. Like, I know it's a beautiful experience, but then I think, why are we going there? Why not leave it and let it be pristine and beautiful and natural? And it's a real, it's a real tug of war. I I think it is, you know. But Um, the
1: hope in there, Lynn, is that, you know, Back in the 1960s, the Detroit River was identified by the Federal Water Pollution Control Administration as one of the most polluted rivers in North America. Wow. You know, we had we still had massive amounts of oil going in the river and we had winter duck kills due to oil pollution where Uh, 10,000 ducks, uh, ducks and geese would die in a single event. You know, we had, we were only providing primary treatment with disinfection to our wastewater and Uh, dumping it in, you know, discharging it into the river. uh, Uh, You know, back then, you know, mercury crisis hit and you know there were you know the mercury concentrations in fish were over four times the safe standard for human consumption
0: wow so
1: today you know we've seen some dramatic improvement in the quality of the detroit river you know Mm -hmm. we have uh um you know the the uh, Detroit wastewater treatment plant is now secondary treatment with phosphorus removal, and okay. that and and uh, we've seen over a ninety percent decline in phosphorus concentration and loading. Huh. We've seen a eighty percent decline in mercury concentrations in fish. Fabulous. We've re, you know remediated you know over uh, two hundred and fifty thousand cubic yards of contaminated sediment, but that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story that gives hope is that back then there were no bald eagles peregrine falcons or osprey reproducing in the watershed. Today, we fledge over 20 bald eagle hmm. and a peregrine falcon every year wow. in this region. We have um, over 30 osprey that are fledged from Southeast Michigan alone. And again, we had none back yeah. then. Yeah. Back then, we didn't have any lake whitefish or lake sturgeon spawning in the river. And they're oh. back. That's great. We have, you know, we have mayflies and we even have some beaver back in the river after huh. over a hundred year absence.
0: <laughs> wow. So, if you
1: add that up, it's one of the most, the return of bald eagles, peregrine falcons, osprey, lake sturgeon, lake whitefish, uh, mayflies, and even mm-hmm. beaver. It's mm-hmm. one of the single most remarkable ecological recovery stories in North America. And that, Amazing. you know, so we can restore ecosystems, we Mm -hmm. can make a difference. If we want to, we have to apply ourselves and do it. And so now we just want to make sure that we don't have backsliding, right? Yeah, we do not want to weaken laws. We want to make sure our laws are strong, and that we enforce them, and that we all work together, because we've learned that, you know, you can't just have a few people do it, or one city do it, it takes all of us to work on some of these issues.
0: Right. Well, and I love your passion. And I and I know that um, you're concerned with, you know, sort of nurturing the next generation of conservationists and, you know, environmentalists, sustainability entrepreneurs, you know, where will they come from? And I know um, 80% of people in the U.S. and Canada live in urban areas. So I just wonder how this disconnection from the natural world hinders that growth of passion and concern for the environment. You know, where are we going to um, find and nurture and, and encourage the next generation of sustainability leaders. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yes, Lynn, I agree that the for many generations, people were disconnected from the Detroit River. You know, mm-hmm. think of how how limited public access was to the Detroit River. Right. You know, we were an industrial town. Yeah. Industry dominated the shoreline. There was no public access. Uh-huh. So what gives hope right now is, think about this, about 15 years ago, a group of people in Detroit came together to have a vision for a, to improve public access to the Detroit River. Mm-hmm. To have a connected greenway from the MacArthur Bridge to Belle Isle to the Ambassador Bridge, mm-hmm. and and to have connections then that would go into the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and that is called the Detroit River Walk, uh-huh. and it has now three million annual visitors to the Detroit River Walk. Wow! What a great way to reconnect people to these amazing natural resources right in our backyard like the yeah. detroit river yeah. think of places like the outdoor adventure center mm-hmm. on the Riverwalk. think yeah. of belle isle which is the is has the second highest attendance of all state parks really in the entire united yeah. states huh. um, so we also need to have citizen science Mm-hmm. We need to involve people, give uh-huh. them educational experiences that are fun to uh-huh. learn something and to make a difference. Uh-huh. To see how what they are doing in citizen science can make a diff- difference in environmental cleanup, uh-huh. conservation activities. Uh-huh. So all those are kind of tools in our toolbox right now, trying to reconnect people with these natural resources and to inspire the next generation of conservationists. Because as you said, 80% of all people in Canada the United States live in urban areas.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I've, I'm really proud of the fact that I, I have four teenagers, and I've always taken my kids to orchards and um, hiking on nature trails and in forests. And it's just been a sort of a part of our family's life. And, um, you know, we always do it. And so now with this pandemic, we're taking walks in the neighborhood, but we're taking time each week to at least go to some favorite hiking trails or whatever. And we're seeing so many people there. And it's because that's what they have to do. You know, we're really not doing anything else at this time. And I think that's such a blessing because we've always enjoyed it, but there's just something exhilarating about being out in nature and putting everything else aside, looking up and seeing the sky and just knowing you're a part of it and and that you're a humble part of it too it's so much bigger than you and i hope that there's an impact from that from this time as well you know that people are are changed by it and realize you know what i really liked being in nature a lot and i want i want to continue that
1: yeah and then the next step from that is to have that you know in you know inspirational moment is to do something like be part of an urban garden yeah. be part of a project to clean up a uh, a stream uh to be part of rouge rescue with uh, uh friends of the rouge when it opens again yeah. uh, do uh get involved in citizen science uh have a butterfly garden in your backyard um you know, do some yeah. schoolyard habitat. There are so many ways that each of us, even and in the city, year, town, um, you know, become a steward for the International Wildlife Refuge or Belle Isle. Uh, There's so many ways that you can get involved and make a difference uh, in, in, in in caring for the place we all call home.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful sentiment, and I hope that everybody listening is energized and inspired to find the way that they can make a difference in their corner of the world. Um, but I want to ask you, we always finish our episodes by asking our guests to offer a permission slip to our listeners, um, because you know when you're looking for your meaning and um, trying to find work with purpose, you almost have to give yourself permission to, to do that. It feels almost like it's an indulgent pursuit, but in fact, it can be one of the most important things that we do in life. So I just wonder what permission you might offer our listeners to give themselves to set them on a path toward identifying their meaning and living with purpose.
1: Well, I would give all people listening permission to go out and reconnect with nature. Um, I would say find your passion, pursue your passion and um, in life. Um, It's all about the loved ones around you and what you do with others to care for others and the places we call home. So um, I think it's really critical that you take the opportunity to find that passion and to go out, pursue it and bloom where you are planted.
0: I love that. Well, Dr. John Hartig, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast. It was a pleasure to speak with you today.
1: Thank you, Lynn. It's my pleasure to be on.
0: Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. Thank you.